Hello, and welcome to the Well-Spoken Podcast, where transformational leaders explore the mindsets, motivations, and methodologies of impact-driven businesses. I am your host, Dr. Delray Messer, doctor of chiropractic, social impact entrepreneur, mom of two, and a go-giver, empowering you through the stories of leaders who dare to challenge the status quo and collaborate to co-create an equitable and sustainable future together. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Well-Spoken Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Delray Messer. I am here with a beautiful friend of mine who I've had a chance to get to know over the past couple of years. She was my Harvard Business and Leadership classmate, and we have really connected on the topic of vulnerability. I know it's something that she's passionate about. I subscribe to her newsletter. I love her takeaways on this topic. So, Stacey, I'm so glad that you're here with us today to deep dive into this topic that, to be honest, I had to practice over a long period of time to flex this muscle and skill. And I shared with you that um, Dr. Jenny and I were launching an intimacy course, a four-week intimacy course on June 24th. And I believe this topic is essential to deep dive into creating deeper connections and greater intimacy. So welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, and how you got into what you do. Great. Thank you. Well, first, thank you for having me on. Excited to see you again, even if it's virtual. Um, <laughs> So uh, a little bit about me. My background is I'm a, my license is as a counselor, but my um, I, I really am a psychoanalyst. That's I've spent four years um, training to go deep with my clients uh, to really um, help them understand their early childhood experiences and how that that impacts all of us here and now. And we can either be conscious of it or unconscious. And it's a lot more powerful if we're, if we're self aware and can make better decisions as adults. So. Um, working with people is a calling for me. I love it. I love people. Um, I, and I love that spark of insight um, people get when like, ah, oh, when they're like, oh, I, I think I just put two and two together. And it's really, um, it's very rewarding um, business I'm in. It's a, an honor to be with people. So that's, that is my professional story. Amazing. So Brene Brown is, I believe, a hero for both of us, really bringing the topic of vulnerability to the masses and unraveling a lot of the limiting beliefs that people have around vulnerability. One of my favorite quotes by her is, true belonging never asks us to change who we are. True belonging requires us to be who we are. Um, How can being vulnerable improve our mental health and self-esteem? Right. Um, I think, okay, so let's, let, let's kind of work our way backwards. <laughs> let's talk about not being vulnerable, which a lot of us are like, nope, not going there, not touching it. Um, don't want to think about those things that maybe make us feel um, self-doubt or make that maybe we're ashamed of or feel, feel shame about. Um, but I th- so I think, you know, we see, we see this in our culture a lot of people just saying, look, I am not going there. I, am, I, I can avoid this by being uh, being perfect by being the perfect um, wife, perfect mom, perfect father, whatever. Perfectionism is the one way that I think people, we would call it defend against um, their vulnerability. So rather than doing that, I, I, and I know Brene Brown suggests that we step back and become aware, just first aware, what are those things that kind of e- easily kind of trigger us into, into shame? And she actually calls, and I love this term, shame triggers. Um, and the shame triggers are those things um, that we don't, we may not realize it, 
Um, but we spend a lot of our time until we become uh, aware, uh, avoiding anything that, that has to do with that, that issue. It could be our looks. Uh, for me, I, I think I've, I've shared in my blog, you've, I think you've read my visual impairment was something I, I really personally worked at. That was a shame trigger. And it was actually in like, I think 2008, uh, Brene Brown came to San Antonio and I did a, a training with her and I'd never heard this term. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I've been through a lot of therapy. You have to be <laughs> as, a, as a psychoanalyst um, and realizing, wow, this one thing has brought me so much shame. And I, I've just spent so much time, you know, uh, uh, going, look over here, look over here, you know, um, smoke and mirrors. So really stepping back and going, okay, allowing yourself to feel that, yes, this, this thing, whatever it is, and we get many, listen, it's, it's, you know, we don't, you can have more than one, um, that this thing, whatever it is, is it's, it's part of me, but it is not my whole story. And it is, it is also part of what makes me lovable, um, and worthy. So, um, I think that it, it is so important to, to become first aware and then, and then have a safe space, um, to, to share our vulnerability with, or, you know, people around and, and those types of relationships that let us be ourselves. Absolutely. Can you expand on the moment that you had your aha with, and even more, more of your story about your visual impairment? What, what, what exactly, and if you're open to it and how, of course, yes. I mean, um, Right. Um, I think, you know, um, it's, it's something that like as a kid, I can, you know, I analyze myself here, get on the couch. Um, no, but as a child, I was so funny. And I mean, I would do everything to, to not, you know, really was like smoking, look over here. I'm normal. I'm normal. Like everybody else I can see. Um, and over time it got, it, actually, it's really exhausting, you know, and, and it really, uh, as I got into um, therapy in my own therapy and then be, was, you know, also training to become a therapist, there were these little moments. Um, one really was with Brene Brown and learning that term here in San Antonio. Another one that came pretty soon after was a, um, a, a colleague of mine who studies um, uh, um, a DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, um, which is very much kind of wrapped in Buddhist concepts. And she told me about this idea of radical acceptance that there's something in your life that you cannot change you must um, come to a place of radical acceptance and that was another a, a movement for me like wow like this did the, I do have this issue and um, it's not going away I, as, as funny as I can be or whatever charming um that's I, I can't outrun this it's okay though you know and so it, that was another movement so it's just been, and then talking to people about it and, and sharing it. Um, and that post I put out there was a big deal for me because I, I don't typically talk about my, myself. I mean, obviously most therapists don't, we're not, that's not what people pay us for. Uh, but you know, this is just, it is part of my story and it's been a, um, I've, I've kind of thrown it into the fire to make the fire bigger. Uh, that is kind of a, I think a quote, um, from, uh, what is it? Um, Amorphati. Um, uh, anyway, this idea of love, love what life brings you. Right. Um, and it's, I don't always love it. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and lie about, I mean, that's, I don't, it's a pain in the butt sometimes, um, a lot of times, but it is, it has made me, me. So that's, that is my story. So it's been, I think it's these, these little tipping points that, that, that start to help us. We, in psychoanalysis, we call it integration. You start to integrate those parts of you 
that maybe you, you were not, not willing to, 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 you know, to bring in as part of yourself. So integration is huge. Absolutely. And for context, was this something you were born with or something that occurred in your childhood? So then I was born with, yes, I was born with uh, bilateral congenital cataracts, which um, as a baby, uh, it was six months when they were discovered. I was basically blind for the first six months. Um, and then this was, you know, 1968, uh, no spring chicken here. Um, so it was a, a miracle, actually. My parents, um, my parents were 22 at the time, young, young parents. And they went to Houston and found, they talked to three different doctors. First two said, no, you, she'll be blind. And the third um, ophthalmologist, a female ophthalmologist said, no, this child will see. And, and I was able to have surgery. So it was just me being able to see is in itself a, a huge um, a, a blessing. Um, so amazing. I don't know if you've watched Michael J. Fox's documentary yet called still. It was just, Oh no, but I want to, and I've never heard of it. Okay. It's phenomenal. You will enjoy it. And for any of you listening, Uh I highly recommend it. It's a powerful story about his diagnosis with Parkinson's and Uh his evolution of really what you're talking about, this acceptance component, the integration, what he did while he was still running from it um, and trying to pretend like it wasn't there. Yeah. And the, you know, the, if you remember the majority of his movies, he was running. Do you remember this? And yeah, that's true. That. You think about it, he's so active. Right. And that's right. what he was doing is really running from the acceptance of this and integrating it into yeah. his life and coming to a place of, um, love and vulnerability. And that's truly why he decided to share his story. It's just, I believe such an act of courage when we are vulnerable enough to light that fire, like you said, or add to it. So, you know, thank you for sharing, uh, you know, even a piece of you that maybe listeners didn't know that even I didn't know that beginning part of your story and how it truly shapes who we are and coming back to vulnerability, you know, how do you believe that that act, um, improves our mental health and self-esteem? I think um, the, the act of being vulnerable, um, I think I, I would preface everything with find the right people to be vulnerable with. You know, I think that's, you know, having that safe group of people or, or a person. It doesn't need to be a crowd. But, um, but you know, it's, when you do decide you're going to kind of put it out there um, in a way, you know, where, where you're um, going to get that support, you're going to be known, like really known. And I think that's a lot of us spend a lot of time going I want, okay, I want this part of me, no, but not this. Um, and so it, it, it builds closeness. It, um, it builds connection really. Even, you know, I, I was, you know, and, and I say, you know, share it with people that a safe, you know, place um, that's, I mean, I'm kind of conversationally speaking, but also um, putting yourself out there in a way. Um, I don't, I think it allows others then to go, you know, touch into their vulnerability because we're all we're all a little scared of that on some level probably to different degrees so if if one person kind of puts that puts it out there um their truest self and and as Brene Brown says uh, gets out in the arena right um then uh, they will find other like-minded people or like-hearted people that will say you know what I'll come down there with you there's always as she said there's always the people in the cheap uh, seats are like oh wow well I can't believe you did that but, you know, let it go. You know, <laughs> you, you got to find your people. And this is one way to, to do that, I think, is who can you truly be vulnerable 
it's so important in marriages and friendships to be able to really uh, bring our whole self into the relationship. And I think it's important to expand on that because I think in today's world, it's very easy to mistake, um, you know, social media and a following, you know, and kind of sharing on a big platform versus being vulnerable in those spaces and comparing that to even qualifying who deserves to hear your story in a vulnerable setting. Because for me, I, I was vulnerable on social media and that was really hard because how much do you share and who deserves to hear parts of those stories that are very intimate and how do we overcome feeling a sense of possible humiliation or rejection But what I've realized is even in-person connections and developing deeper relationships with people is more meaningful to me than even a social media share because it develops more intimacy among quality relationships. I was just on a fourth grade camping trip with my daughter and one of the other chaperones, my goal was to get to know not only the kids more intimately, but also the chaperones and the parents that were there. And I had the opportunity to walk alongside one of Um, the moms who had the most beautiful story. I just said, I want to know everything about you. Tell me all of it. So for an hour and a half, you know, she shared the intimacy of her childhood and the challenges she experienced and how that shaped her. And I just thought to myself, wow, that was a deeper connection with a human that I've experienced in a long time compared to just making a post. So can you share a little bit of context to that? How do we set healthy boundaries around where we're vulnerable who we're vulnerable with and how do we navigate such a complex world that really didn't exist years ago with the social media landscape um, being a part of a lot of our lives. Yes. I think, I think, I mean, that's a, that's a, and it's, I think it really depends on, it depends on, on what is it that you're, what is it that you're looking for? I think that's sometimes we maybe don't take enough time to actually play things out in our mind. If I say this to, to so-and-so, and you we usually have kind of a hunch, how, how will they respond? Because we're all looking for a certain response, right? Empathy, um, connection, right? So I think when you're thinking about uh, boundaries and, and, and um, thinking about who to be vulnerable with, we, we want to go to those people um, that are going to welcome us and connect with us and not kind of leave us stranded, you know, because we're taking a risk. I mean, that is to be vulnerable is to kind of put yourself out out there a little bit, right? So I think um, knowing that now, and there there are some things that we could, you know, like I would go back to my post. I know that I could have gotten some pretty, someone could have said something, you know, that would make me feel good. And I, I was willing to risk it because I felt like it was important enough message. Um, but and but if someone had, I, I would have had to deal with my hurt feelings. You know, that's just because I'm human. Um, but so I think it's, um, you dial up the level of intimacy, um, I think based on the level of trust you have into that person's response or that group's response. Right. And, um, so the level of intimacy, you wouldn't go high vulnerability, uh, for low trust group, right. It's got to match. The trust has got to be there. If you don't put something out there that you really can't bear to have a poor response to if you, if you don't, um you know, I just wouldn't do that. You know, you want to, you want to protect yourself at the same, you know, look out for yourself in a way to be vulnerable um, with the people that are actually going to connect with you, not judge you. Cause that's not a connection. 
at all. I love that. I don't, yeah. High yeah. vulnerability, avoid a high vulnerable moment with a low trust. That was powerful. I really liked absolutely incredible takeaway. Um, how can I identify and challenge negative self-talk that may be preventing me from being vulnerable with myself and others? Or again, that outcome of fearing rejection or humiliation. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, okay. So I think that uh, it, it, all of this involves that, that moment of reflection. As you know, Viktor Frankl, uh, I love this quote, in between the stimulus um, and the response, there is space. And in that space lies our freedom, right? And, and, um, and I think we need to all give ourselves space uh, before we respond or, you know, before we, we um, make meaning out of something to say, okay, you know, okay, Stacey, um, I, I know um, this may have, you're taking this this way, but are there other ways? Your mind kind of likes to do that. It's a running theme for you. Can we, can we step back and, and maybe think about another way to perceive this? Or is there, is there other, are there other ways? So it's challenging those, those trigger uh, responses uh, to things that we all have. We all have early experiences that, that color our adult experiences. So I think just giving your, giving space to reflect and go, you know, I wonder if there's another way to look at this and what is it? Why am I, of all the stories I'm telling myself, why did I pick this one? Amazing. I, I have my own take on this, but why okay. do you believe intimate relationships are one of the most vulnerable spaces that we will be in? I know for me, when I first met my partner, both of us agreed we wanted to fast forward. <laughs> we said, can you just skip over who we present to be and get down to who we truly are faster than what usually occurs? And I think for me, that kind of partnership is something that I craved because I believe for so long we tried to hide those parts and in intimate relationships, eventually someone will see. And how do you cultivate vulnerability in relationships sooner rather than trying to hide who we are? Right. Oh, that's great. That's a great question. <clears throat> I think, um, you know, having a conversation like you, you guys had was, is a great start to say like, um, you know, what do we, what do we both want here? Do we, or do we want this to go slower? Or do we kind of want to skip the, skip the, you know, small talk and really get to know what's real about each other. Having that, that intention, setting that intention, would be, I think is that was brilliant on y'all's part to, to do that. And then it's like, okay, you know, um, being curious about each other, cultivating curiosity um, not, rather than judgment, right? And, you know, the old uh, Stephen Covey, uh, seek first to understand and then be understood, right? To really try to understand and understand, and this is the psychoanalyst in me, but really understanding their life story, um, and why why a certain thing may hurt them in a way that would never hurt you. You're like, what what is this about? In in same way, okay, time out. What 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 just happened there? Tell me about that. Tell me, you know, what that meant to you. What that, uh, you know, now I'm not suggesting you do therapy with them, but but just be curious, you know, about tell me why why did that upset you or why or why does this delight you so much? It doesn't have to be negative. What what is what is your, why do you love uh, being outdoors? What is it, you know, were you outdoors as a kid? I think trying to be curious and then, and then tune in, you know, um, empathic attunement is one of the biggest um, things we try to cultivate in couples therapy 
And empathic attunement means really simply tuning in and, and, uh, to your partner. Uh, if you see a, a, a look go across their face, say, hey, you know, did I catch something? What, what is that? What are, tell me about that. But it's, you know, with really trying to just cultivate curiosity rather than judgment. Because it gets very easy in, in partnerships to, to become judgmental and become really, um, we call it kind of polarized, uh, get into very black and white thinking. That's the opposite of intimacy. Um, and to really take a really nuanced look at your partner. Always try to see the complexity of things. I, I, I call it complexify. Complexify it. Don't make it over simple, you know. Um, I think th those are some things that just come to mind when I'm thinking about um, building intimacy is and it's emotional intimacy sexual intimacy is one thing but it can't it can't it has to rest on the emotional trust and intimacy absolutely I, I always say trying to enter a conversation as a regulated human with a dysregulated human is not easy and that attunement piece is really important I've found ways to create attunement and then be able to have conversations whether it's with my girls. Mm -hmm doing an activity right. while we connect and talk and create curiosity around the conversation. I love mm -hmm. taking business outside now and going for walks. I feel like you just oh, right. in a, a different level of attunement than sitting across from each other at a coffee shop in, in such a, a different way. You're face to face, especially if it's someone new. I just love these concepts that can flow into, again, deep diving past surface conversations or even that judgment space and getting more curious as you attune with someone else. Um, that's amazing. I'm, I'm curious, from your perspective as a therapist or psychoanalyst, um, would, you, would you say that there are common uh, shame triggers that show up most frequently in your practice, or is it across the board many different types of oh, shame that's triggers? Um, I think, okay, so I see a lot of women, you know, and my, that was my, one of my, th well, what I researched was um, highly educated women that, that decided to stay home. Women that had gone to medical school, practiced medicine, lawyers, but it could be any woman. We all have this maternal uh, shame. I, I, it's just something it's, it's, I don't, that to be is one of the, that's uh, a big uh, shame trigger for, for women, for mothers, obviously. Um, so that's something I work with a lot. Um, uh, the shame of, you know, not uh, for men, maybe, um, you know, not being enough, not live if they've had a, a, a powerful father, um, not, you know, doing as well. Uh, that comparison shame, you know, comparing themselves to other people. I mean, we all, we can all, you know, we have a myriad of <laughs> shame triggers, all of us. Um, but, you know, I think really um, just feel this, or there's a deep um, entrenched shame that I think can be um, this feeling of not being enough or being an imposter. Like I really don't belong here. I work with a lot of really successful people and, um, and despite all their success and in all areas of life, um, there can be this feeling of like, let me just keep myself small. Cause if I'm small, you know, then I, I won't get seen. Right. And that's really coming from a shame. Like a, I'm not really good enough. I may be out here doing all these great things, but so it's really letting them, um, understand that part of them. Where does it come from? Dial it down and be more expansive in the world, engage with the world um, and let that go. Because that probably that usually these voices that hurt us as adults that, you know, kind of hold us back, 
we always have to honor at some point they they helped us as children at some point we we were, we were told that or we told ourselves things to to kind of protect ourselves but they we've outgrown them but yet we still use them and we still feel them feel that shame that we did you know as a child so it's really that's the importance of psychotherapy is is that everybody thinks oh you're just dwelling in the past no you're not the the, the past is living out here and now it's just becoming aware of it Absolutely. I I will share vulnerably that uh, going to Harvard for our business and leadership course together the first year was extremely challenging for me. Even though it was virtual, I just, I struggled. I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like everybody was farther along in their careers. I didn't look at the parts of myself that were strengths to be able to add context and value to the conversation and to others. And it wasn't until this year that I truly went in with an intention that you have skill sets that can add value to this group, because that's how I always view those experiences. It's not just what I can take away from the education or from the group, but how do I truly belong here? Uh, How do I add value here? And Mm -hmm. it was the first time that I had a chance to do what you said, reflect on why didn't I feel like I belonged that first year? And yeah. I come from a very small rural you know, community where a lot of women, first of all, didn't necessarily pursue careers, but had beautiful home lives and were mm-hmm. incredible you know, mothers. And my mom, I mean, she milked cows. She worked on the farm. She did all of yeah. the roles. And I had a lot of guilt and shame around pursuing a career as a woman, but then also mm-hmm. not shining too bright because uh-huh. you don't want to ruffle anyone else's feathers. And there was you know, a particular woman in my life who often, when I did shine bright, just one look, you know, and you knew it was, it was not supportive. And that really affected me. And it wasn't until Mm. I was talking to a friend of mine who was, who is a therapist. And she said, you know, I think you've really revealed a lot around why you feel you can't shine bright, especially among other women. And it really helped me. And like you said, yes, that was in the past. It's not dwelling on the past, but it was kind of this root that was keeping mm-hmm. me just down instead of growing and being able to actually shine a bright light. So thank you for that reflection. I think it's very important, like you said, this between the stimulus and the response, for us to get quiet and to start to seek to understand ourselves more allows us to be able to also be more vulnerable because I believe that internal self-awareness and self-acceptance allows us to be able to share more of who we truly are rather than what we believe others need to see in order for us to belong. So thank you. That was beautiful. Yeah. And thank you. Um, And and you have been such an amazing uh, contributor at at Harvard and I've loved having you in class and you just brought so much value. So I'm glad you did that work and figured out, Hey, I'm, I'm bringing it. Bring in, bring it at all. <laughs> Thank awesome. you. Thank you. I'm curious. Too, and I was one of the first in my family to seek therapy, uh, mental health or having challenges with mental health, you know, where I was from meant that something was wrong or, you know, mm-hmm. you need to fix something about yourself. Um, I'm, I'm curious when somebody's either initially starting therapy, you know, do you find that there are common barriers that prevent them from being vulnerable in therapy? And what are some of the ways that we can help 
um, then become more comfortable. And, you know, maybe exercises or techniques that you have found really help people to practice this. Mm Because I do believe it's a skill set. It's not something that happens overnight. Right. And, and, you know, I think the first thing is, is time, you know, um, that I try not to, you know, people, people are going to bring in what they bring in, of course, but I always aware that, you know, if, if someone shares a little too much that first session, they may kind of feel like, Oh, you know, it, they may feel shame only because they've shared, you know, shared more than they thought they were going to share. So I think normalizing as if so, so time, time to build a relationship, time to let, let things unfold. Right. Let the story unfold. Um, but my vulnerability, my uh, when appropriate, you know, I don't, you know, I always think about how, what's this going to mean to someone, but try to share some of my vulnerability. Um, I think that, you know, therapy these days is a lot more symmetrical. Um, it used to be, I think, very, you know, asymmetrical where the patient was the more passive and the, the all knowing therapist. Well, that's, you know, nobody wants that. I mean, nobody I know, (laughs) Um, you know, we want to relate to people in mutual ways. So I think, I think building that relationship, building the trust um, is, is really important. That's the number one thing. Um, As far as people that don't, you know, um, that are worried about being vulnerable, I think to, to tell them one thing, you know, I've said is that therapy is not necessarily, Oh, something's broken. It's like going to a personal trainer. Like you may be, okay, I want to work out. Um, but the personal trainer is helping you grow. It's like, it's a positive move. Right. And I think we're, people are starting to see that more. Yes. You're there. You're are going to deal with problems that there are things that are problematic, obviously, but, but it's, I see it as a way of like, you're leveling up. Right. And so I think it's, we need to kind of change our, the way we, um, talk about therapy because it really is, it's a, a gift, um, to give ourselves. It's, it's, it's so important and so valuable. Um, so I, I think maybe flipping, flipping the, the, the narrative a little bit to make it more about, um, you know, the personal trainer <laughs> idea. I think that's a, that's a good way to think of it. One of my non-negotiables I said before mm-hmm. I started dating my partner was that either I'd gone to therapy, was in it, or proactively seeks it to help Mm -hmm. support, like you said, flexing that consistent muscle of being able to share and process. Because I truly believe people that are intentional about going to therapy, and like you said, sometimes it takes a while to find someone that you attune with, right? I know for my daughters, both of them, it took a couple of therapists for them to find their alignment. And I think that's also another topic that should be shared more. It's not always just like dating. It's not always one and done. You're not going to always find the perfect therapist the first time, you know, you seek it. But Mm -hmm. I do believe that just like you said, it is a muscle and it allows us to be able to create deeper connection and intimacy by understanding ourselves better. Those are the skill sets that I learned first and obviously therapy was kind of like me walking in with a toolbox and I just started adding more tools to it. Exactly. And now I get to carry that toolbox around in life and pull out responses <laughs> versus reactions. And I get to <laughs> right. take my time repairing whatever I need, you know, to repair. And that has helped me not only as 
a mom and in my intimate relationship, it has really helped me in every, every single relationship in my life, I believe is healthier because of therapy. Um, so I'm a huge proponent of it and advocate of it, as you can clearly tell. Um, I love and, I'm just, <laughs> and I'm just curious from your perspective, what was a moment in your own journey that you realized mm-hmm. the importance of vulnerability? Um, oh and how gosh. can you get a partner or a friend who is closed off to be more vulnerable with you? So let's start first with a moment in your own journey where you realize the importance of vulnerability. Uh, wow. Um, the importance of vulnerability. That's There's so many little moments I'm trying to think. Um, you mean my personal journey or? Yeah, your personal life. I'm, you know, and I'm curious. I don't know if you want to go here at all and you absolutely don't have to. Um, but you did mention something about being a caregiver for, um, I believe it was a son. I don't know if that's a a part of your journey that is, you know, personal and more challenging, you know, and how that shaped you and who you're vulnerable with when it, when it comes to that. Um, Yeah, it it is. um, Yeah. Our son um, in 2013 um, was in a, a, had a traumatic brain injury, a boating accident. It was, it was horrific. I, you know, many uh, weeks in the ICU and, uh, many years of recovery. It was, it was, um, the, it was the worst thing I've ever been through. I can say without a doubt. I mean, you know, yeah. Um, but it, but so when you're in that place, you're vulnerable, you're my spouse, the whole family becomes vulnerable. Right. And everybody, you know, you've got this community around you. Um, and I realized though, that some, some people really, we're kind of scared of all of our vulnerability, right? Um, and kind of shied away, really did. And that, um, and then there were people that leaned in, right? Um, and so I think vulnerability uh, and people just, you know, these are all they're all great people. It's just different levels of who, how can you be comfortable with this level, this high level of, um, of vulnerability that we were this family was was going through, and um, and it made me. Um, I think it, it really made me feel more resi- after, you know, going through it um, and, and helping watching my son who's, you know, just graduated from Tulane. Okay. That's so he was 2000, he was, um, 2000, he was 15 uh, at the accident. And now it's been almost 10 years, almost, he's almost 25. He's graduated Tulane. We, we did not know what was going to happen with this, with this child. Um, and we got through it, but, but yes, I mean, it was, we had to own our bill. We had no choice, you know, but to own it, but also to, to realize that other people are going to have vulnerability um, that, that the world might shy away from and the, to not to lean in, you know, um, I learned, I learned a lot about, about vulnerability and, and um, its impact on different, different people and, and on me. It was um, one thing to deal with the vulnerability of a visual impairment but dealing with the vulnerability that my son faced and all of our, you know, was just a, it a just a much a more profound um, level. I do know that story is what connected me to you on a deep level. That's when I was going through a caregiver role myself when you shared mm-hmm. your story. And I had not been vulnerable with very many people about how challenging that role was. Every emotion that I faced in that caregiver role, I just, I thought, you know, I'm just going to be strong in this role and that's what, who I'm going to be. <laughs> and right. I, you gave me permission to be more vulnerable as a caregiver and say, you know, I do have 
a lot of needs right now, like emotional needs and support as well as physical, exhausted. Um, So I'm just so incredibly grateful that you shared that story because it allowed me to open up more about what it was like to be in that role. I'm curious what you believe is the reason why some people leaned in during that time, you know, in your support group and why some didn't. You know, I, I really do think um, that people, you know, there's this whole thing called uncertainty <laughs> in life, right? And none of us like it, okay? We want to not think about that. And and one of the ways, and you see this of different, if someone is, um, you, you know, if something horrible happens to someone, you can see people shy away from them because it's almost like, um, I, I don't want to get too close to this because I can't bear the fact that it could, it's so random and so awful that it could happen to, to me or my family. It's scary because it kind of, it, it just, you're right in, up front with something that's, that definitely, there's no, you know, um, law that says it won't happen to you, right? Any, any kind of tragedy. Um, it could be anything. And so I think people, that scares them. I, I, and and um, they don't, or and then there's this idea of, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to be around the, these people or, you know, and, and, and so they just freeze. And I think their better sides of them would want to lean in. But it's that fear of, oh, my oh my gosh, this is too much. Oh, I can't handle this. It, this might happen to my family. That's, I, don't, I don't think that's a conscious thought. But I think it's kind of an unconscious thing in the back. And or, oh, my, I don't know. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to say. It be, it's better if I don't say anything, uh, which is, you know, not right. I mean, I would, you know, let's all try to lean in. Even, even if it's hard, even if we say something stupid, because it's still better than saying nothing. Absolutely. I feel really vulnerable in my career journey of being very passionate about diversity and inclusion and having conversations around this topic. And I remember a friend said, you are so brave. I would never be talking about what you're talking about. It's, it's too vulnerable. What if you say something wrong? <laughs> and I yeah. thought to myself, you know, that is the difference between leaning in or dipping out into something that you believe is extremely important. And you're right. There is the level of uncertainty. What if I do? But for me, the importance of the topic of the conversation overrided my fear of uncertainty. And I think sometimes that's what vulnerability does. If I can give an overview of my life and look at the moment that I started to choose, it was about eight years ago. And I was just extremely humbled. I was in a transition personally and professionally. I was struggling. I wanted to hide that from everyone, but instead I knew Mm -hmm. that hopefully my story as a stressed out, exhausted mom and health professional, the mom that you just described, you know, that comes in often with shame triggers. I had all the mom guilt of missing meaningful moments with my older daughter. And I just did not want to repeat that pattern of living such a surface life where I showed people just this outside self, (laughs) the outward facing self, I desired a deeper connection, not only with others, but simply like life meaning. And I believe vulnerability gave me that. And again, it does take courage. It takes bravery to be able to talk about tough topics that our world needs to discuss and having these conversations that allow you to be able to 
open yourself wide open to, yes, maybe criticism, but maybe praise. And I believe that when it is that important to us, um, you will find a way. And being bold, I believe the world needs more bold and brave, not only transformative leaders in business, but simply in life. I have a friend that's going Mm -hmm. through um, cancer treatment right now and chemotherapy. And you know, it was really hard at first because it was uncertain and it was um, a reminder of what I had gone through in the past couple of years. And I realized I needed to lean in even more because it allowed me to be able to use the skill sets that I had learned and be able to support. And again, sometimes a simple question, are you okay? How can I support you? What does support look Mm -hmm. like for me today? Those are just very simple, easy ways to be able to open up vulnerability and connection. So Stacy, I, I don't know if you have any last words of wisdom for our audience when it comes to vulnerability. I mean, you drop quotes that I love by authors that I love, <laughs> wisdom and knowledge bombs all over this episode. Yeah. Um, but any last words of wisdom for our audience? Um, you know, as adults, you know, we, we still need each other, right? And we need to be attached. And so I'll, I'll leave on a, on a note about uh, about attachment. Um, that even if we are, you know, we, we grow up and we kind of have, feel insecure or anxious, if you know, if you get in, a, if we get in a good relationship and cultivate those relationships, our attachment style can actually change from like an anxious attachment or avoidant attachment to a um, to a secure attachment. And that's called, they actually call that earned attachment. Earned attachment means that as an adult, our security level, our, our sense of being connected to someone and being safely connected to someone actually can grow. To me, that's one of the most hopeful things I've learned in a while. And I, and I love that. So I think vulnerability is, is part of that. Vulnerability um, is all a part of all of our lives. It's what it's a, it's whether we decide to own it or not own it that, that's gonna or and, or run away from it like uh, Michael J. Fox. Um, so let's let's stay put. Let's not run. <laughs> Lean in, as Brene would say. Somebody said that. Yeah. What are what are the common denominators in those other attachment styles? Or what's the most common that you see, and why? Yeah. So uh, okay. So if, if we're anxiously attached, or in, um, then we're kind of our our, our fear, our preoccupation is for abandonment, people to reject us, to abandon us. So we, we, without even realize it, we're constantly looking for cues in the environment that someone's about to bolt, right? On the opposite, and these are extremes, right? Um, and then on the opposite extreme is the avoidant attachment. And um, avoidance um, are people that are, that are very fearful, and it's all coming from early childhood experiences, but are very fearful of getting too close. That if you if I get too close to you, you're going to kind of take over, and so they're very much they're scanning the environment for someone encroaching on their turf, right? Again, these are extremes, but all of us kind of tend to fall, especially at times of anxiety. We tend to go one way or the other, a little more, a little less. It depends, it really depends. There's a great book called Attached. That's one of my favorite books um, on attachment. Um, but um, anyway, so those are the different sides, and then in, in the middle are securely attached. People that are kind of, for the most part, trust people. They're not. They're not scared of getting close. They're not scared of intimacy. This is, you know, um, people that are securely attached actually 
I would guess they're probably it's vulnerability is probably um, easier for them than the avoidance or the anxious attached uh, individuals. So we're all we all want to be more securely attached. And there's a lot of great literature out there on that. Do you believe securely attached individuals have done a lot of work on themselves with self-regulation and self-awareness, and they've cultivated skill sets to be able to fall in the middle and understand those other principles? I don't think it happens by chance. I'm, I'm saying, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm well, okay. Clear. I do think that, I think, because um, this all, a lot of the studies are done with children, right? And so, so, you know, people that are um, securely attached, you know, and some of it's, you know, always nature, nurture, but it, it really kind of starts in the early, um, in the childhood of having um, uh, the caregiver, uh, attu- uh, or it goes again, path, empathic attunement, tuning into the child. So the child can start to understand and register their own uh, experience as, oh, I felt this, this is, this is what I felt, right? And that's okay. And this, and it's okay to be close and it's okay to be do things on my own. So they have a little more, I guess, um, flexibility around their attachment style. And then probably maybe later on they do some work, but, but it's definitely, um, em- environmental. I will, I would put up that out there. That's, that's, uh, powerful for context. So it's more what happens in childhood than even any amount of work that you can do as an adult. A lot of it stems from our environment mm-hmm. in childhood. Hundred yes, but but I, that's what why I like earned attachment that concept so much yes. is because um, through a great relationship and or through therapeutic work we can become less anxious or, or less avoidant and be go more towards the middle which I, I don't you know more towards secure yes so Beautiful. while while these things are kind of mapped out by our early early experiences it it, it is it is a lifelong um, evolution that we get to. Uh, you know, take part in. You just validated my passion for responsive parenting. (laughs) So I read all the books I want to improve all the time on creating, you know, an environment where my daughters are valued, seen, heard, you know, in their own journey and experience. I consider myself a little (laughs) co-pilot, you know, guiding them, but allowing them to be able to really feel understood and seen and their feelings validated. Um, I've just seen how much growth that has given them as individuals. So I'm really grateful for you for this conversation. It was so helpful. It's a perfect lead into Dr. Jenny's and my course um, launching on June 24th, Unlocking Intimacy. These are the concepts that we're going to be deep diving into. Um, So thank you so much, Stacey. And I will include in the show notes where you can find Stacey, where you can sign up for her newsletter. Um, and thank you so much for your vulnerability. You have opened the door for not only myself, but many others that are listening. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. And I look forward to talking soon. Well, that concludes another episode of Well-Spoken Podcast. Remember, stay open, curious, and think abundantly to co-create a better future together.